This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Last week's board promotion, we mentioned that we'd be hopefully talking to Don Folsom, the author of Nixon's Darkest Secrets, the inside story of America's most troubled president. But unfortunately, we had a, a bit of a missed phone connection. I gather Mr. Folsom is in Asia. And owing to some confusion over exactly which time zone the both of us were in, uh, we're going to have to put him on next week's program, which we're looking forward to. Our sometime correspondent Don Rose likes to say that deaths seem to come in threes, although I don't normally put much stock in that. In fact, did experience three this week. Two, I suppose you'd say like everybody else, that the death of celebrities, in one case Lauren Bacall, in the other Robin Williams. But the third case is someone I knew from many years ago who inexplicably took her life last week. This marks the second time in three months that someone I know personally has elected to end their life. So I think that's a topic we may need to address, not today, but sometime in the near future. Let us instead begin today's program as we begin basically all programs with a look back at this date in history. Our date in question is the 14th of August. We do want to note, by the way, that it was about this time 100 years ago that events started coming together that became World War I, with one nation declaring war on the other and then mobilizing, etc. We'll have more to say on later, but let's take the date, August 14th, and note that it was on this date in the year 1281 that the Mongol emperor of China, Kublai Khan, had his fleet destroyed by a typhoon as it attempted to invade Japan. The typhoon was termed a divine wind, or kamikaze, and marked, I believe, the second time that an attempted invasion of Japan by the Mongols failed due to a storm. On this date in 1834, 19-year-old American Richard Henry Dana, author of the highly popular book Two Years Before the Mast, an autobiographical account of the abuse endured by seamen, began his stint at sea. He's also the person that named Dana Point down in Orange County. And I get, Mr. McMillan, did, did I talk about my kayaking trip? You oh. talked to me about it. I'm not sure if you talked about it on the air. Oh, well, we did make a little trip down there to do some kayaking. We may get to that today, and we may get to that on next week's program, but it was fun. And it was on this date in 1900, during the Boxer Rebellion, that an international force featuring British, Russian, American, Japanese, French, and German troops relieved the Chinese capital of Beijing after fighting its way 80 miles from the port of Tianjin. The Chinese nationalists besieging Beijing's diplomatic quarter were crushed, and the Boxer Rebellion effectively came to an end. And on August 14, 1932, Italian radio pioneer Guglielmo Marconi completed work on the world's first shortwave radio. Our quote of the day comes from Aristotle, who once said, A friend to all is a friend to none, which I think applies to politicians. Speaking of politicians, H.L. Mencken once said, A good politician is quite as unthinkable as a good burglar. And bonus political quote, which we've used before, but I think must be used today, comes from Adlai Stevenson, who once said, In America, anyone can become president. 
It's one of the risks we take. Our joke of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who noted a few weeks ago, it was just revealed that the Federal Reserve was hacked on Sunday. It's pretty serious. In fact, they say the hackers could have made off with as much as a negative $14 trillion. Our anecdote of the day refers to the German poet Heinrich Heine. No, I don't know. I've never heard of him either. But he surely was a poet because he exited this worldly stage with quite the zinger. When he died in 1856, Heine left his entire estate to his wife on the condition that she remarry. Quote, because then there will be at least one man to regret my death, unquote. Our stats of the day include the following. So far, the current Congress has enacted 142 laws, the fewest of any Congress in the past two decades. And the number is actually smaller than that. Only 108 of the bills which passed were substantive pieces of legislation. The remaining 34 dealt with renaming post offices, anniversary commemorations, and other ceremonial issues. Stat number two, back in 1997, nuclear power provided 17.6% of the world's electricity. Today, that's down to 10.8%. The largest cause for the drop is the Fukushima disaster in 2011, after which 48 nuclear reactors in Japan and 8 in Germany were shut down. What that means is of the 7% of the world's energy being generated by other sources, now you can bet that, uh, well, 90 plus percent of that is coming from burning fossil fuels. To which we say, ow! And for our good news of the week, we have an article from The Economist, whose science and technology section tends to be excellent. Note of the magazine, a look comparing patients with HIV infections and patients with MS or multiple sclerosis has led to a curious observation that may lead to a treatment for MS. Studies of patients who are undergoing retroviral therapy for HIV infections determined that they were getting MS at a curiously low rate, less than you would expect from normal statistics. Now, it's not clear whether having HIV or being treated for it um, is suppressing MS. Either option sounds plausible. The immediate cause of MS's symptoms, which range from clumsiness and even paralysis to depression, is that the sufferer's immune system is attacking his central nervous system, specifically the fatty sheaths that insulate the nerve cells. Since HIV meddles with many sorts of immune system cells, well, it could be suppressing the MS. On the other hand, though the underlying cause of MS remains unknown, many people suspect it is triggered by a yet-to-be-termined virus. If that's true, it may be that the antiviral drugs given to those with HIV are bringing relief by attacking this unknown culprit too. Fascinating stuff. And on that note, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for those who have often posed the question, if we can put a man on the moon, why is it we can't hatch a test tube penguin? Because, in fact, SeaWorld announced that it hatched its first penguin by the use of artificial insemination techniques. SeaWorld's scientific director told NBC News that the technique of artificial insemination 
has been performed the first time ever in any penguin species. Let it never be said that we're not making progress in this world. On the other hand, it was a bad week last week for theme parks, with the news that in Tanzania, specifically the city of Arusha in Tanzania, has opened up the Maserani Snake Park. It features camel rides, a crafts market, and a Maasai cultural museum. The park is also home to some of the most dangerous snakes in the world, including the puff adder, the green mamba, and the forest cobra. And yes, proceeds from the park are funding a free medical clinic, www.maserisnakepark.com. And you know, I, I just realized in reading this story that I've been to Arusha, which is on your gateway to climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, and as I hiked through the forest, I was unaware of the fact that there were puff adders, green mambas, and forest cobras lurking about. And it may be just as well I was unaware of that fact. It was an ugly week last week for Second Amendment nuts with the news that an 18-year-old man triggered panicky 911 calls when he elected to carry a shotgun through the streets of Aurora, Colorado, saying he wanted to make residents feel more comfortable about guns. Aurora, of course, is the town where a crazed gunman killed 12 and wounded 70 in 2012. Said Steve Lohner, if enough people were to lawfully open carry... People would end up feeling comfortable around it. And I guess you'd have to say it was both a bad and ugly week for Second Amendment nuts last week. With the news that Ty, quote, Glenn, unquote, champ, a former gubernatorial candidate best known for his status as a registered sex offender, got arrested last week in connection with the shooting of a neighbor and also a horse. Champ was taken into custody. He'd previously served a prison term for manslaughter and has several convictions for weapons offenses, and is also a registered sex offender. Apparently, in the wake of a dispute with neighbors over work being done on a private road, Champ pulled out a small black handgun and shot the 40-year-old victim, then fired several more times as the man and his young son, who had been standing nearby, ran away. He missed them, but killed the horse out in the pasture. During his campaign for governor, Champ described himself as, quote, a new breed of Christian soldier moving forward in the army of the Lord. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition and we'll all stay free. And finally, we have an item that's, I guess, more good than ugly. The story is that the Indian government has hired 40 humans to imitate monkeys and shoo away pesky macaques, which frequently lay siege to Parliament House in New Delhi. Yes, as you may know, monkeys are revered by Hindus because of their association with the monkey god, Hanuman. The practice of driving marauding macaques off with their larger Langer cousins, accompanied by handlers, got outlawed in late 2012 when it became illegal to keep Langers in captivity. So now, dozens of monkey wallahs, which roughly translates into monkey men, grunt, hoot, and screech to the best of their Langer impersonations to scare off the macaques. Although I'm tempted to add, you think you have a tough job. I have to confess that I wouldn't mind taking, at least for a short period of time, a job as a monkey walla. I'm a monkey! And finally, it was apparently both a bad and ugly week last week for Walgreens when it was revealed that the Internal Revenue Service 
had caught a break after Walgreens apparently dropped its plans to use an overseas address as a tax dodge. All right, what else can we talk about? From the miscellaneous file, strange things are happening out in the ocean. As we speak, apparently dozens of whales are frolicking in Monterey Bay. They're apparently lured in by schools of anchovies. Although someone noted to me when I was in Santa Cruz last week that a bunch of anchovies swam into the harbor, used up all the oxygen, and died in mass, causing quite a stink. And, reportedly, the waters in Monterey Bay have hit 67.5 degrees, which, those of you in other parts of the world should note, is extremely high for the central California coast. Temperatures in the winter are usually around 50, which is 10 Celsius. And getting up near 60 is considered pretty balmy. And out in the Pacific, apparently the trade winds are blowing stronger than they have since records began in the 1860s. Scientists are saying that a warmer Atlantic Ocean is the cause. And to quantify it, they say the trade winds are now 50% more powerful than since the late 1990s. Right, we mentioned World War I at the top of the program. You say a word or two about its commemoration. And yes, the second greatest bloodbath in history apparently is going to be commemorated by certain people. The French are kind of enthused about it because for the French, the Great War is the good war, the one where they performed nobly. World War II, of course, is tainted by the memory of defeat and collaboration. But Lamont noted that World War I is remembered as well as fondly as any war can be. Over in Germany, they're apparently divided over the war's legacy. There have been two recent histories out, The Sleepwalkers and Pandora's Box, that have been wildly successful in Germany because they downplayed German belligerents presenting the war as a European crisis, not a German crime, which is probably legit. Fingering German belligerents as the cause of World War I led directly to World War II. Britain, too, is apparently wallowing in martial nostalgia over the Great War. Noted The Guardian, all over the country, towns are putting on plays, tours, and even fashion shows. The BBC is all war all the time, with documentaries competing to portray the most ghoulish tales from the trenches. Noted the paper, in the past decade, Britain has waged three unprovoked wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya, and even now is urging actions in Ukraine. The paper asked how sad it was that we're using the deaths of so many Europeans as, quote, a military propaganda opportunity, unquote. A lot of saner voices are noting that if there's one lesson we should learn from World War I is that it's easier to get into a war than it is to get out of one. Stephen Walt, writing in foreignpolicy.com, noted that when shots were first fired 100 years ago, the European powers predicted soldiers would be home by Christmas. Instead, they suffered through four long years of horrifying carnage. And indeed, World War I killed at least 10 million soldiers, including 100,000 American troops. Of course, sounding a more sanguine tone about all this was historian Ian Morris, who wrote in New Scientist last April that, well, war does do some good things. In his way of looking at it, war was a great organizing force for societies. And then in the wake of various invasions and wars that took place throughout history, wherever they were, the winners of the wars found that the only way to make larger societies work was by developing stronger governments. Things those governments had to do if they wanted to stay in power was suppress violence among their subjects. 
Now, they didn't do this out of the goodness of their hearts. They cracked down on killing because well-behaved subjects were easy to govern and tax than angry, murderous ones. The unintended consequence? Rates of violent death fell 90% between the Stone Age and the 20th century. Of course, the article does admit that locally, particular times and places, violent death rates could spike back up to Stone Age levels. For example, between 1914 and 1918, nearly one Serb in six died as a result of violence, disease, or starvation. Yeah, we're sticking to the notion that war is bad. And the current war that Israel was making on Gaza was especially bad. The Israeli so-called security forces killed about 1,900 Gazans, mostly civilians, while losing something like 67 people. Estimates are that Israel did about $3 billion worth of damage while they destroyed 10,000 homes. Seems pretty clear to us that by leaving 425,000 people homeless and the entire area on the verge of a humanitarian crisis, many observers have pointed out that Israel has created thousands, well, perhaps millions of Hamas sympathizers and loyalists. The New York Times' Thomas Friedman's pointed out that if Israel wants to avoid endless war with an increasingly radicalized Gaza, it has to empower the Palestinian Authority to take over Gaza. But to win over the moderate Abbas, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu will have to defy Israeli hawks and make significant territorial concessions in the West Bank. And although Israeli officials condemned U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry, when he warned that Israel risked becoming an apartheid state without a negotiated two-state solution, we'd say, of course he's right. If Israel annexes all or most of the West Bank, there will be no way Palestinians will be allowed to be free and equal citizens. And in that, I'm quoting Akbar Ganji writing in the HuffingtonPost.com. He added, they'll be denied the right to vote as well as other basic freedoms. If the Palestinians are denied an independent homeland, said the Boston Globe, prepare for a big spike in terrorism. Talking about the current mood in Israel, Gideon Levy, writing for Haaretz, had the following to say, Leading figures in Israel have publicly called me a traitor. Haaretz has hired a bodyguard to ensure my safety. They haven't succeeded in silencing me. I will continue to write about the brutality of this war, about the atrocities, the mass killing of civilians, and the horrifying destruction in Gaza. But I'm not the story. The real tale is to be told in the unprecedented cracks in Israeli democracy that have been revealed in just one month of conflict. Years of nationalistic incitement by the Israeli government, of expressions of racism, of anti-democratic legislation, of price tag actions against Palestinians in the West Bank without anyone being brought to justice, all that intolerance has suddenly exploded in our faces. Anti-war protesters have been assaulted in the streets by right-wing hooligans. People were reportedly fired from their jobs because of critical remarks they made on their private Facebook accounts. Several weeks ago, university professor at Ramat Gan emailed his students to say he hoped their families, whoever they might be, would be safe during these dark times. This simple act of kindness was enough for the dean of the faculty to try to have the professor apologize to his students, some of whom claimed to have been offended by his words. Failing to make a distinction between the value of Israeli and Palestinian blood is apparently enough to contravene the values of Israeli academia and caused a public scandal in Israel this year. 
The biggest problem is not the marginal extremist who cheers for the killing of Palestinian children in Gaza or applauds every Israeli bomb that falls on a private residence. The biggest problem is the Israeli mainstream, which spoke with one voice during this war and which had zero tolerance for any kind of dissent or even the simplest human compassion with Palestinian sacrifice, suffering, and bloodshed. One of Israel's greatest assets, as well as the source of its greatest pride, has been our liberal, democratic, and free society. But what we're doing to ourselves now is a greater threat to our existence than Hamas's rockets could ever be. I think we must take a short break at this point. And we would encourage all of you who feel, much as we do, to speak out on this issue. As noted by the Coalition for Grassroots Progress, while many people voiced revulsion at the mass killing in Gaza, the U.S. Congress cheered it on with unanimous votes. We do note that the opinions heard on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors of the University of California. But we personally would note that you might want to take time to urge your elected representatives to stop feeding Israel's military machinery, to stop supplying weapons to Israel, and to stop helping provide the Israeli government with immunity from legal consequences for its actions. Let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Ah! 